Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon asking for your sweet spirit to bless our discussion and our thinking. We thank you for the gift of the Sabbath, and we've been so slow to appreciate its richness. So please speak to us this afternoon, Lord, and warm our hearts anew. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist. I've kept Sabbath all my life, and I thought I knew everything there was to know about the Sabbath. I knew the Fourth Commandment by memory, and I knew Sabbath starts at sundown Friday night and ends sundown Saturday, Sabbath evening, and I was going to do this for God if it killed me because I love Jesus, and this is his holy day. Well, God real, realized the sincerity of my heart, but he wanted to give me an additional blessing, and through in a very unusual means, that word unusual, right, is a part of our theme, he broke my heart open to his great gift of the Sabbath. Now, I'll share that with you first because you'll see what a hard job it was for God to even do that. My husband teaches Old Testament at the seminary, and you know that the basic tool of teaching Old Testament is the Hebrew language, and he, he studied hard Hebrew to, to be able to translate Hebrew, and he, even when we go on trips, he'd take his Hebrew vocabulary with him and study the review that Hebrew vocabulary, but he had a dream. He heard that the nation of Israel had sponsored a uh, Hebrew, intensive Hebrew language school for Jewish people who live around the world and move back to Israel and they don't know their mother tongue. So they, they government funds this ulpan, they call it, and they guarantee you that a Jewish person can come there and six months be fluent in their mother tongue while they're living when, as they live in Israel. And Dick had heard about that and he just dreamed someday to be able to do this. Because I guess some of you are, I'm sure, are multilingual. I guess the, the, the true test that you know another language if you dream in that language. And he wanted to be able to dream in Hebrew. He just loved the Hebrew language. So he was telling this to one of his colleagues, and he said, well, listen, apply for a six-month sabbatical. Now, Andrews University doesn't do this, but sometimes for special projects, you fill in a bunch of papers and how this will make you a better teacher and where you're going to go and all this wonderful stuff, and they will grant you a special dispensation to do some special study project. So he turned it in, and I was cheering him on because I thought this would be a dream come true for him. Well, it took several weeks for this to be finalized, and finally came on one day. He was just beaming, and he said, honey, you're not going to believe it. Andrews is granting me this chance to go study the Ulpan in Israel, and we're going to have such a good time. And that stopped me dead in my tracks because I had never thought that I was part of that dream. Because I know that Andrews will give this special project, but they don't give the money. They give the time, but not the money. And I think in dollar signs. And so I, I, I had to think quick. I had to think quick. And so I said, honey, this is a dream come true for you. And I really, I want you to do this. But why don't, why don't we do this? Let me take the kids and I'll go stay with my parents. They never get to see their grandkids enough. And you go and you just live their uninterrupted Hebrew and just fulfill your dream come true. And this will just be so special. And I, I, I was really happy for him. But I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. Because of the cost. You know that um, the Davidsons have, well, let's put it this way. Some people decorate their home with everything matching, you know, like Mediterranean style or Italian or early American or something, you know. And the Davidsons have always decorated in what I lovingly call early relative because we, we have a rather eclectic blend of nice furniture. My parents and Dick's parents and have blend, donated us together because we've spent much of our money for education. And I'm not begrudging that, but that's just the way life turned out. And so I had a dream that one day when we finished paying off all our educational challenges, that I would buy a new couch. And so see, when Dick said we would go to Israel, I thought, there goes my couch, right? There goes my couch. And so I didn't tell him that that night. I didn't tell him that. And it was a couple years later after this happened, I, I brought it up and I said, remember that night when I didn't want to go to Israel? And he said, yeah, I remember. And he said, 
well, honey, I got to tell you the real reason why I didn't want to go. He says, what was your reason? And so I told him, I said, I wanted a new couch. And he said, he laughed, and he said, well, I had a dream too. And I said, you did? He said, what was your dream? And he said, well, I dreamed that someday we'd have a car with a floor. Because <laughs> when we moved back to Michigan, we drove an old car. And I don't, I'm not complaining. I'm just describing the situation. And you know how they put, you don't have to do that in Florida, but we had to put salt on the roads with the snow and the ice. And our old car had, the floor had rusted out, completely rusted out. You could see the axles, right? And so my ingenious husband, he figured out what to do. He said, honey, I, I know the solution. I'm going to get some plywood and make wooden floors to cover the holes. And he said, wood doesn't rust. And so I said, this is really cool. He said, because, well, to add a sideline, my husband is very good at fixing things. He's very good. And this was an old car and you, before this digital stuff, and he could always make it run. And he said, honey, this is a perfect solution. We'll put a wooden floor in. And, you know, someday... I'm not going to be able to fix this car. Someday it's actually going to wear out, but never mind, we'll pick up the floor and we'll walk at home, you know. <laughs> so we had a good laugh that night, but the, the first night when this came up, it was no laughing matter for me. I've got to tell you, I did not want to go. And so, but I didn't go through all this with Dick, and I, I just said, so he said, well, honey, if, if you don't think we should go now, let's go another time, because I don't want to go without you. Ugh. And now this is a part of the story I don't want to admit, because I too quickly said, okay, let's go another time. And my good-natured husband just smiled and said, sure. We went to bed, and he fell promptly to sleep, and the Lord started working on my conscience. And I kept turning over and turning over and turning over, and God was saying, Joanne, you said the wrong thing. You said the wrong thing. And I, I was wrestling with God. I said, why do I need to go? Let him go. I don't mind spending all that money for him. I, I, I'm not begrudging that, but I don't want to spend to take our kids and me. I don't need to go there. And God just kept nudging me. You know, like a timpani roll, they kept getting louder and louder and louder. And after about two hours, I realized that God wasn't going to let me get out of this. So I nudged Dick. And I said, well, maybe we should go to Israel now, gritting my teeth. And he said, okay. And he promptly went back to sleep. And my next level of maturing process began as I, have you ever been to a place where you know what God wants you to do, but you don't want to do it? That's where I was. I knew exactly what God wanted me to do, but I didn't want to do it. So I'm laying there in bed and I'm gritting my teeth. I said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to be a martyr to the cause because Dick deserves this. And I just won't get my new couch. So, um, it was my privilege. Dick filled out all the papers and applied. And it was my privilege to go get the money, the last bit of money in our savings to pay for our tickets to fly to Israel. And I'm smiling bravely to Dick and I'm gritting my teeth. You know, because I really did want Dick to do this. I, I didn't begrudge him doing this. It was a chance of a lifetime. So we flew to Israel. And I remember we landed. If you've been to Israel, you know you fly to Tel Aviv. And you have to take a taxi down to Jerusalem. The international airport's in Tel Aviv. So we were taking a taxi down the Sharut. And when we got to Israel, uh, to Jerusalem, the taxi driver was taking us downtown Jerusalem around Independence Park. Because our one-room apartment was just a block away from Independence Park. And as we drove around the park, the Jewish people were having a festival. And there were the rabbis there with their Torah scrolls and moms and dads and kids and grandpas and grandmas singing praise to God. And it was just, it was just enchanting. It was just absolutely, and I hadn't even been asleep the night before, but I just, my eyes just came open. So we said to the taxi driver, what's this? And he said, oh, this is festival time. We are celebrating Pentecost. This, this is when we celebrate God giving the law. And right away, my Seventh-day Adventist brain kicked in. Celebrate giving the law? I mean, we believe the law is permanent, and it's the basis of morality, 
and God gave it w- with his own voice, and he wrote it in stone, and it's important, but I've never thought of praising God for the law. It's just there. But our Jewish brothers and sisters realize what a gift this, the law is, and they celebrate the giving of the law every year. Have you looked at the hymns that Adventists sing? We don't praise God for the law. We have a few hymns about obeying the law, yes, and that's important. But have you ever praised God for giving you the law? You start reading the book of Psalms, and it sounds different. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. How many times have you thought about the law all day long? Well, anyway, that that just gripped me. I said, that just started my mind thinking. We got to our room, and Dick said, let's go down and watch. And I said, well, I don't want to get shot. And so, because my international thinking was a little slow. And so uh, Dick said, well, I'll go down and, and you put the kids to bed. So I didn't. 10 minutes later, he came back and he said, honey, you got to come. You'd love this. You'd love this. So we went down and truly it was a extraordinary experience. You've been there. Just extraordinary. These precious people who pr- know how to praise God for the glorious things he's done. Well, the next day, Dick went down to the government office to pay the money for his classes. And I'm smiling bravely, but I'm gritting my teeth. And he came back, and he started going to class eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, eight hours a day, nothing but Hebrew. He had a marvelous teacher. She never said anything but in Hebrew. And she'd point to things, and she just knew how to teach. And Dick knew his vocabulary already, and so he was just, he'd come home, and he was just beaming. And I'm saying, thank you, Lord, that Dick can be here, but I don't need to be here. And so after about... Two, two weeks, he started teaching us Jewish folk songs and, and teaching us how to bargain because in the Middle East, even if there's a price on something, you bargain. And so I see nodding heads. And so um, he taught us how to count and to bargain. It was, that, that was fun, I have to admit. And we fooled him all along, and we'd, we'd say, how much is this? And they'd say, and we'd bargain, and they'd think we could really understand Hebrew, and they babble and babble, and I'd just nod my head. I didn't know what they were saying. Well, anyway, after two Two months of class, it was six months, about two and a half months of class. Dick came home one day and he said, you know, there, there were 12 students in each section. And he said, the students in my section learned that we've gotten acquainted with each other and learned that we come from America, but we keep Shabbat in America too. And so they said, you must come and we will celebrate Shabbat together this Friday night. Come to our home. And Dick said, don't you think we ought to go? Well, again, my Seventh-day Adventist smugness kicked in. And I'm thinking, well, isn't this nice? I'm a Sabbath keeper. What can a Jewish person teach me about the Sabbath? You know, I've been keeping Sabbath, my family, for four generations. I've never missed a Sabbath. I know the fourth commandment by memory. I know when it starts. I know when it ends. I know to do this for God because I love God. And so I said, sure, let's go. You know, we feel very smug inside to know that we don't really need to do this. But let's be nice, you know. And so we went, and that very first Friday night to walk into these little homes, these little, you know, because in Israel you can't own a house. Everybody lives in apartments because there's no private land ownership because it's a socialist country. And these, these people live in little tiny apartments. In fact, one time we visited in the home of a Supreme Court justice on the Israeli Supreme Court, and he lives in an apartment like our students live on in campus, an economy apartment. There's no walls showing, just floor-to-ceiling books except for windows. Precious people, precious people. Well, anyway, they, we got into this home, and there's this table. And there's the living room and the dining room. Everything's all one room. And it had a beautiful tablecloth with silver and gold threads on it. And it woven in it, and crystal goblets and sterling silver and gold, fresh flowers. And I, I said, whoa, this is beautiful. I want, I, what, what, what a spe- who's somebody special coming for supper? 
So we sat down and ate, and they asked us all about keeping Shabbat in America, and I learned something. We, we don't present Shabbat positively because they knew that we kept Sabbath. They say, for you, when does Shabbat begin? Easy question. Sundown. Oh, they said, no, it's much better than that. And they said, Sabbath starts coming in all Friday afternoon, and by sundown, it's all here. They, they look forward to the Sabbath. You know what? But before this, I, what time does the sun set here in Florida right now? Eight something? 8.30. So 8.29, you're finishing the vacuuming. You shove the vacuum cleaner in the door, slam the door shut, and it's 8.30, the Sabbath starts, and you fall dead on the floor. But boy, you guarded the edges of the Sabbath. But the Jewish people anticipate the Sabbath. All week I saw a beautiful poster in a store, and... It's, there's a cat hanging from a branch of a tree and looking scared. And underneath it says, hang in there. Sabbath is coming. <laughs> Everything they do reminds them of the wonder of the Sabbath. You know, in Israel, you buy a calendar. None of the other days of the week have a name. Only Shabbat. You know how they number their days? Six days until Sabbath. Five days until Sabbath. Four days until Sabbath. Three, two, and then finally Sabbath has a name. It was just, it was a whole new experience for me. Well, well after we, we had a wonderful meal, oh, and they, and they said, for you, uh, oh, I love the way they said it. We, we got to talking about what you do and don't, don't do on Sabbath. And, and Dick said, well, you know you can't work on that Sabbath. And they said, oh, it's much better than that. You know, we say, you can't work on Sabbath. And they say, I don't have to work on Sabbath. See, they, they, they do the same things we do, but they, have the, they see the blessing there. And not a restriction and a legalistic restriction. They seek what God is trying to do to bless us. So after supper, we had some beautiful family traditions with their family. It was just, it, and I got home and I remember thinking, oh, that's pretty nice. That family had some neat ideas. That was pretty nice. Well, a couple weeks later, another one of Dick's students had heard that we'd gone to someone else's house. He said, please come to our house to celebrate Shabbat. So we went. And again, we found this precious, precious people loving the Sabbath and, and afterwards having a beautiful family tradition. We did this about three or four times with different Dick students. And then I have to tell you, after about the fourth time, I remember coming home to our little apartment and falling down on the floor and weeping. Because I, and I prayed something like this. I said, Lord, I fought you to come here. I didn't want to come here. But now I realize what you were trying to give me a blessing. And you wanted to open this self-satisfied, smug Seventh-day Adventist heart to show her, thank you very much, Jesus, to tell me for what you're doing, but I really want to give you the Sabbath. The Sabbath is something I want to do for you. It's not what you do for me. See, we like to say God is love. And I think Sabbath is the greatest proof of that. Because lovers like to set special times to be together. And that's what God has done with the Sabbath. But we've been so embedded in my, at least in my thinking, of we've got to get the right day. And that's true. But why? Because the great God of heaven who loves his family wants to have a time with us every week. Every week, special time. And, and, but the Jewish people, they, they do the same things we do, but they do it for a different motive. Not to show God how good we are. See, God, did I do good? Did I do good? And I didn't do that, and I did this. As one Jewish writer put it, if all you think about on the Sabbath is what you should or should not do, you've never entered the joy of the Sabbath. And another Jewish writer wrote, it's not that the Jews keep the Sabbath, it's the Sabbath that keeps the Jews. 
Well, every Friday night as the Sabbath begins, the family gathers together and they celebrate it in a beautiful way. You know, Sabbath is all, and family is all we have left of the Garden of Eden. It's all we have left. So we don't, the Sabbath is no more Jewish than marriage. If you're saying Sabbath is Jewish, then you have to say marriage is Jewish. And furthermore, Sabbath comes, it's not we don't earn it, it comes like salvation. It's a gift that comes to us from God. Nothing we can do to earn it, but he just gives it to us every week, every week. It started breaking through my brain as a fourth generation seventh day. I started breaking through my brain. I would do the same things, but I'd finally see that I wasn't doing this to show God how good I am and how obedient I am because I don't want to miss a minute of this special 24 hours. Don't want to miss a minute. Well, right at sundown, a Jewish family gathers, and these are ancient traditions that probably Jesus did. These they tell us are thousands of years old. And the family gathers around, and right at sundown, the mother lights the Sabbath candles. Now, I don't have fire permission in here, so we won't light them. But there's several ways they do this. Some families light two candles. And that stands for the two different versions of the Sabbath commandment. The one in Exodus 20, when it talks about God creating. And then in Deuteronomy 5, when Moses preaches on the Ten Commandments, he talks about God Bringing, a, bringing Israel salvation from slavery. And so, you know, our smart Western critics say that Moses was, got it wrong. You know, there's a contradiction in the Bible. And so I, I asked one of Dick's friends, I said, do you see a contradiction there? They said, oh, no. He said, God both times created something out of nothing. When he made the Sabbath, he created something out of nothing. And when he saved Israel out of slavery and made them his people, he made his people something out of nothing. And he said, so it's both of these versions of the commandments are showing God's great creative power. So some families will light two candles as the Sabbath begins. Others will light the seven candles. Now, you know, there's the nine branch candlestick. It's not that. That's for Hanukkah. And this is the, called the temple mineral. It has only like seven candles and the Sabbath candles in the middle, middle because they say the Sabbath candle sheds its light both ways. Uh, from Wednesday to Sabbath, the light of the oncoming Sabbath brightens your week. And then after you leave the Sabbath, the light of the past Sabbath brightens your days up, up until Tuesday. And then by Wednesday, the new Sabbath is going to brighten your day. So everything is based around the Sabbath. Some will light seven candles. Other family, the, the, when we visited with the, the Supreme Court Justice, lit a candle for every member of the family and their grandkids, even though they were all around the world. So they had about 25 candles lit that night. And then after they have their Sabbath meal, then they call all their kids and say, I just lit your Sabbath candle. Happy Sabbath. So there's many ways of doing it. But the important thing is they light candles. And so I asked them, I said, how, how did you think of lighting candles for, to start the Sabbath? And they said, oh. And they gave us many different traditions. These are two of my favorite. One of them was, you know that you can have one, everybody has a candle, and one candle can light everybody's candle. Right? Have you done that? You know, and the whole room can be lit from one candle. And when you're done, the original candle is as bright as ever, right? And they say, just so God has been blessing the Sabbath for thousands of years, and the blessing is just as bright as ever. Another family, uh, another family told us, they said, well, you know that when God created during creation week, the very first thing he created on day one was light. And every Sabbath is a new creation, so we begin with light. And so they, they light candles, and the mother prays a prayer over her family just as the Sabbath begins. 
And I know this is Thursday, but let's just pretend we're a family, and I'd love to pray this prayer over you. It is the most beautiful prayer. Let's pray. Pretend the candles are lit. O God of your people Israel, you are holy, and you have made the Sabbath and the children of Israel holy. And you have called upon us to honor the Sabbath with light, with joy, and with peace. As a king and queen give love to one another, as a bride and her bridegroom. And so we have kindled these lights for the love of the Sabbath day. Almighty God, grant me and all my loved ones a chance to truly rest on this Sabbath day. May the light from the candles drive out from among us the spirit of anger and the spirit of harm. Send your blessings to my children that they may walk in the ways of your Torah, your light. And may you ever be their God and mine. O Lord, my creator and my redeemer. Amen. Now the candle, Sabbath candles in Israel are about this long. They've figured out how long it will take for a candle to be lit at Sabbath, I mean Friday night, and to burn out before they go to bed. So they don't even have to work to blow out the candles. They just burn out. Well, after the candles are lit and the mother prays his prayer, the next thing is really precious. The husband blesses his wife. Every Friday night as Sabbath begins, the husband reads or sings to her from the Song of Songs or... Proverbs 31, that beautiful passage talking about a woman of strength who can far, price is far above rubies. And some of the husbands have made songs of these and others read them to him. A beautiful, beautiful picture. And it's fun, it was fun to watch in those Jewish homes as mom and dad expressed affection for each other and to watch these kids look up at their mom and dad and feel so safe and their parents' love. It's beautiful. He tells his wife, he reads her for this passage, whichever one, and tells her, you know, you are just wonderful. Thank you for all you do for our kids and for me and making this home such a special place. It's a beautiful time. Every Sabbath, the Sabbath begins, family ties are restored. After the husband blesses his wife, the wife blesses her husband. And she reads to him Psalm 112 talks there about a noble man who provides for his family, is known for his wisdom, and takes care of, of the needy in the earth. It's a beautiful passage. And she tells her husband, honey, you're just a rock. Thank you for all you do for me. I feel so safe in your love. Thank you for what you do for your, for your family. It's a beautiful thing. It's fun to watch kids look at that, to watch their mom and dad love each other. Friday night as Sabbath begins. You know that Friday was Adam and Eve's first day. They remember that. They remember that. And so they say that this is reminding them of the perfect love that God started in their hearts. And so they repeat that every Friday as Sabbath begins. Isn't that neat? After the husband blesses his wife and the wife blesses her husband, the dad blesses the kids. And I saw this done several ways. The dad if, takes all kids in his arms, several kids in his arms, or he goes to each one separately and puts his hands on their shoulders and prays a personal prayer over them individually, praying that they will grow up to be noble and wise and true in the ways of God. It's just marvelous. It's just marvelous. And it's, I peaked. I've got to tell you, I peaked. And this one dad had four kids in his arms, 
and he was praying over them and the kids were leaning their head against dad and just feeling so good to be blessed by Pa. It was just beautiful. They were loving it. And it was a precious benediction as Sabbath began. Now, if there's no children, of course, you don't do that. And also, if the father has to be gone, then the mother can bless the children. And my husband, after we started doing this, tried very hard to be home Friday night at sundown. But one Friday night, he had to be gone when our son was about eight years old. And so I did the blessing that night. And I took my son in this arm and my daughter in this arm. And I was praying a prayer over them. And I noticed my son was very restless. And the minute I said, amen, he went, you're not as good as dad. (laughs) But you know, that taught me. There's nothing like the blessing of a heavenly father on Friday night. And that's what Sabbath is all about. That's what it's about. It's not what we do for God. It's what God wants to do for us. And that's what we put aside everything so that we can receive this great blessing of the Sabbath, the great blessing of time. You know that of all the pagan religions around Israel, Hittites, the Akkadians, the Philistines, they all had their creation stories and they all had all their ideas, but not one of their gods ever gave them the gift of time. Never. This is totally unique to the Hebrew religion. Not only that, it comes once a week. The Jewish writers say that the Sabbath is the birthday of the world. Not my age. I don't want a birthday even every year. I told Dick, let's celebrate it every five years now. That's plenty. But the Jewish people say that God loved this planet and his creation so much, he didn't want to wait even a whole year to celebrate. So he celebrates it every week with the Sabbath, giving us a gift of time. It's the first thing God made holy. The first thing was time. We can't even touch time. We can't go backwards or forwards. We can, or we can only go forwards. We can't sideways or backwards. But God has control, total control of time, and he took those first seven days of creation week, and he bent it into a week, and he punctuates it with the Sabbath so that we'll never forget. That's why the fourth commandment starts to remember. God says, I don't want you ever to forget. Come close to me and listen to my heartbeat. Listen to my heartbeat. And I, I finally, that's why I had to finally pray that prayer. I thought I knew all there was to know about the Sabbath. And I finally started realizing, no, I didn't know anything about this, what Sabbath God really wanted it to be. Well, I'm sure God accepted my efforts and was glad I knew the right day and all of that. But Sabbath is a lot more than not Sunday. It's a big deal. And I'm, I'm sometimes wondering if we would learn how to present it for the, all the richness it is, it, it would, if people would want it. They would want it rather than having to say, now you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. Instead of opening their eyes to see what a, a wonderful thing it is, they would want it too. Well, after all of these wonderful blessings, they'll have a special meal. Now, that's not a standard menu. You can do whatever you want, but what they do is so fun. They say all during the rest of the week when you eat, eat your evening meal, you have to hurry on to get something else done, right? Maybe you don't, but I do. But what they do is they'll, they'll have simple food, like maybe they'll have some fruit, and then they'll sing a Sabbath hymn, and then they'll bring out maybe some bread and some, some uh, hummus, and then we'll eat a little bit, and then we sing a Sabbath hymn, and then they'll, then they'll maybe bring out some soup or some salad. Nothing rich, but then they, they, so they draw out the meal and they said, this is to make us slow down. Make us slow down and remind us that we don't have to hurry now. We can just sing and enjoy the presence of our creator. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. 
Well, that's why I had to pray that God forgive me because he was wanting me to see something. Well, Dick's students also, his colleagues in his class also said, you must come. When we finish Shabbat, you must come. And Dick said, okay. Well, again, we didn't know what to do. But we, we went, this time we were more, at least I was more intentional to realize I might actually learn something. I, I realized now that when I went to Israel, I was prejudiced against the Jewish people. It's easier to be as an Adventist because after all, they killed Jesus, you know. But if you read the biblical record carefully, it wasn't the Jewish people that killed him. It was the religious leaders. And that's a really hit on the head. Our, our, our Seventh-day Adventist religious leaders, would we be misrepresenting Jesus and misrepresenting the Sabbath just like they were in Jesus' day? And I realized that I had to realize I could learn about the Sabbath. They've been keeping the Sabbath for thousands of years, and they still love it. I know there's some legalistic Jewish people. I know that. And there's some legalistic Adventists. And I know there are some very liberal Jewish people, and I know there's very some liberal Adventists. But God put us in contact with these genuinely sincere, precious Jewish people who opened my heart to the Sabbath. Opened my heart. I remember when we started lighting candles. John, our son, was just under one year old, and he couldn't talk very much, but he, we had been lighting Sabbath candles for three weeks, and I had him on my hip one Friday, and as I was cleaning, you know how you become a one-armed mother? And I had him on my hip, and so I, I said, John, tonight it's going to be Sabbath. And he couldn't talk yet, but he went, <laughs> he, knew, he knew we'd blow candles. He knew we'd blow candles. He would, he would have candles. Well, anyway, after we, we saw how they started the Sabbath, they invited us to finish the Sabbath with them. And again, it's a beautiful thing. It's just beautiful. They have what is called a Havdalah ceremony, when they say they separate the sacred from the secular, and they have several steps. They light a four-wicked candle, and I didn't bring one. I should have, but the one we have is almost burned down, and I've got to get a new one. So it's about a foot long, and it's four strands of wax about the size of a pencil. And they wet the wax, I mean, heat the wax, and they braid it together so it's braided. It's a braided four-wick candle. Like our multi-wick candles are usually round with a lot of wicks, but the Hebrew ones are just it's braided together. And a braid is, is a very important thing because it reminds them of all the blessings that are woven together. In fact, the hollow bread you can only get on Friday night is braided bread because it's to remind them of all the braids uh, uh, the, of blessings that will be woven together on the Sabbath. Well, anyway, they have this Havdalah candle, and they light it. And, the, and I said, well, you lit candles to begin, and now you lit candles to, begin, to end. Is that right? And they said, yes, we want to envelop the Sabbath with light, to, to surround the Sabbath with light. And I thought that was lovely. Then they take a, uh, a crystal goblet and set it in a saucer and very elegantly fill the saucer and fill the goblet with grape juice, and, and it slowly fills up the cup and overflows until the saucer is filled. And it takes, takes several minutes so they don't spill anything. It's just very elegant. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they said, that is to remind you that this Sabbath, since this comes at the close of the Sabbath, how that your blessings have overflowed. They've just overflowed to remind you. And so just whatever they do is it, it, just really marvelous. And one more thing is they pass around a spice box. Maybe some of you know this. They, those, it's a box that can be made out of stained glass or pewter or wood or whatever. There's no standard... Uh, material, and then they put a fragrant potpourri in it, and that's not, not a standard. It's something your family likes to smell. And so as the sun's going down, they pass around the spice box. Everybody takes a whiff. Now, that was quaint to me, so I knew I had to ask. I said, can I, can I ask what that means? And they said, oh, yes. 
That is to make sure that before the Sabbath closes, all your senses have been blessed. Even your sense of smell. Now that really triggered my thinking. Because see, for Adventists, Sabbath is very cerebral and mental and legal. You know all the texts? You do it right? And, but they, and, and they, they use the same text we do. They do. But they, but they say the Sabbath is to be a blessing. And so they, they think of ways to, to make sure all your senses are blessed before the Sabbath. Because that's, Jesus doesn't just talk to your mind. He wants to bless you. So Dick and I started playing with that. Sense of, the sense of smell and the sense of taste go really good together. So I, I, I learned from them that they, they have on Friday night and Sabbath their family's favorite food. Favorite dishes. Now I... I got a, a master's in nutrition, and I really am interested in how food affects our health and, and, and all the things. And so I have fun with it. I really enjoy it. And so when, I, when kids were growing up, I would talk about, guess what's in this? Guess what's in this? And one day my son said, mother, can we just eat? So I knew I was overdoing it. So, but, I, but by then, you know what your family likes to eat. So Friday afternoon when they come home, they're smelling their favorite food. And have you noticed how food tastes better on Sabbath? Food tastes better on Sabbath. You can cook the same food during the week and it's good, but wait till you serve it on Sabbath. Your taste buds are heightened. And they come home Sabbath Friday afternoon and the house is smelled with their favorite food and, and that's part of the blessing of the Sabbath. Then there's a sense of sight. Well, here's another time I have to make a confession. <coughs> My house is not always spotlessly clean. I don't leave in, in shame. <clears throat> in fact, I have a magnet on my refrigerator that says... <clears throat> You can eat off my floor anytime. There are crumbs everywhere. <laughs> and my dear husband puts up with me. But Friday is different, right? Friday, the bathroom mirrors get polished and the floor gets mopped. And we even have clean sheets. I love clean sheets. If I, if I wasn't an ecologist, I would change my sheets every night. I loved line-dried sheets that smell like the sunshine and that crispness, you know. But at least on Sabbath, I get that. And so, so even our sense of touch is blessed. And we, we develop back rubs for the sense of touch, too. When our kids were growing up, Dick would do one and I would do the other. We'd rub backs and we'd talk. And when they were little, they wanted a story. And when they were in academy, they wanted to talk about boys and girls. And when they were in college, they wanted to talk about things they were learning. And we did back rubs. And I remember once they were in the academy, it was Christmas, and, and they had the Christmas program. And afterwards, they asked parents to stay by and help put away all the music in the stands to get church ready. So we stayed by afterwards. And on the way home, our daughter said, it's late, isn't it, Mom? And I said, whoa, yeah, it really is. She says, well, is there time for back rubs? And I said, of course. It somehow made a difference, the sense of touch. They deserve a back rub every night, but I don't have time. And they don't have time. But Friday night, I don't have to work, and I have time to be a blessing to my children. Sense of touch. Sense of sight. The Jewish people, well, I mentioned my house was finally clean, and I forgot to mention they always have fresh flowers on Sabbath. Always have fresh flowers. And I can't say that that's the best way to do it, but I had one mother tell me that she's a single mom, and she couldn't afford fresh flowers every day, every Sabbath, so she bought a pretty bouquet of silk flowers, and she puts it away during the week and brings it out for Sabbath to remind her of the beauty of the Sabbath. So whatever, whatever it is, whatever it takes, something to make you, remind you of how wonderful the Sabbath is. 
Now, I'm not saying that this is the only way to start the Sabbath. I'm giving a testimony of what God used to open my heart to the Sabbath being a lot more than what I thought it was. I want you to also consider that the Sabbath is inclusive of all creation. All creation. Remember? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Who's all included in the blessing? You, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, nor your major, nor the animals, nor the stranger that was in your gate. God includes the animals in the Sabbath blessing. It's that expansive. And you start thinking of how often God thought about the animals. And today, most people just think about animals as how they taste. But God really cares about creation. Remember, he, during Noah's flood, oh, well, let's start with creation week itself. Turn to Genesis 1 you got your Bible, let's go to day five. Genesis 1, and we'll read about day five. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures and the birds above the air, above the firmament, and God created the sea, great sea, sea creatures that exist and the waters abounded according to their kind. And then it says, and God said to them, it is good. And then God tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Who is he talking to? There were no humans around yet. God's talking to the animals. I don't know how or what he did, but God said, be fruitful and multiply. He only gave us that blessing on day six, gave the same blessing to the animals. It comes to Noah's ark. God includes the animals. And they were obedient to the call. The angel led them in. Humans, no humans would bother. They thought it was crazy, but the animals obeyed. They come out of the ark in Genesis chapter 9. Have you read that covenant statement in Genesis 9? God says four times in Genesis 9, I'm making this covenant with you and with every animal with you on the ark. And he names all the kinds of animals that are on the ark. And he says it four times. And he includes covenant. God has a covenant with all of us. You know, the writer of the doxology thought of that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. And when you sing it, you just think of all of us nice humans singing praise to God. But you know, the animals are praising God. It's just our ears are so degraded by sin that we can't hear it. And we forget that God receives praise from all his creatures. You find it all through the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 48, if you, Psalm 48 this great choir. Notice all the people, not all the beings that are singing praise to God in Psalm 148. It's an amazing passage. Everything that has breath praises God, according to this passage. And I should say that, bird, are any of you birders? Have you read about these ornithologists that have recorded bird calls, and they, all we hear is these sweet little chirps, and they've slowed them way down, and they're spinning very intricate melodies, and they don't repeat themselves for 45 minutes. But our ears cannot hear all these pitches, and so all we hear is these sweet little chirps and think, aren't they cute? But they're very highly intelligent. Well, let's read this choir first. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord in the heavens, the heights, the, uh, the moon and the star. The first things are in the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And let's go down to verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, the great sea creatures, fire, hail, snow, clouds, stormy winds. Um, I need my glasses on, obviously. Mountains and hills and fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and cattle, 
creeping things and fish and fowl, kings, and then it lists all the people. And then there's, uh, uh, we come last on the list of this choir. We come last. All these creatures are praising God, all of them. And speaking of God, speaking to the animals, 1 Kings 17, remember when Elijah, after Mount Carmel, was fleeing from Jezebel? And God says, 1 Kings 17, says, go live by Brook Cherith and get your water there. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Oh, God, God talking to the animals. And you know, people used to think that monkeys were the smartest creatures next to humans. And now you read the book, The Wise Guys of the Avian World. Ravens and crows, they're smarter than monkeys. And that's why God commanded them to feed Elijah. Go, and it said, God, God, command, God says, I've commanded the ravens. And the next verse, it says, and the ravens came and fed Elijah, like they were told. So the Sabbath is big and includes all creation, all creation, praising God. And as we are allowing different species of animals to die off through our cruelty, we're muting God's praise. So anyway, I started asking our Jewish brothers and sisters when we were there in Israel. I said, I need to ask you some questions because I've been a Sabbath keeper all my life and I, I, I didn't think of it this way and I just helped me exp- understand. I said, how did you think of, of having, having such a beautiful table and having such a festive mood for Sabbath? I've always thought Sabbath was something you've got to be very careful and, 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 and not, you know, not violate anything and, and yet you, you make it such a festive celebration. And they said, well, that's in the Bible. That's in Torah, they call it. It's in Torah. And I said, well, how, is, how do you see that? And they said, well, well, turn to Job. And I said, Job? I said, nobody reads the book of Job except when they want to understand suffering. And they said, no, no, God's longest speech in the Bible is in the book of Job. And, God, and Job was suffering indeed. He really was. But God finally comes and talks to Job and God's longest speech in the entire Bible, both the Old and New Testament, is in this book. And it starts in Job chapter 38. And when God comes to Job, he doesn't talk to him about the problem that Job is suffering. And Job was suffering. Terrible. Losing his family, his house, everything he owned, and covered head to foot with boils. Have you ever had one boil? They're painful. Job couldn't lay down. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't sit down. He was covered head to foot with boils. And God comes to him and doesn't explain it. He talks about creation. And this is just amazing to me. Let's read this. Where were you? Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Now, do you see God's sense of humor there? Where are the foundations of the earth fashioned? Fastened, I should say. Where is this? What foundation are we fastened to? We're a spinning ball. Don't you remember learning that in geography class? I remember being in grade school and saying, the teacher was saying, we're we're just hanging in space and just going around and around and around. And I I remember going home that night praying, dear Jesus, don't let go. Because I was afraid. There's no reason why we should still be here. But God, it tells Job, where did I fasten the foundations? Surely you know. Or who laid the cornerstone? And then God gives the mood of creation. He said, when all the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When God was creating, can you just see it? Day one, God did this. And God said, this is good. And then the universe says, wow. The second day, God creates something. And he said, this is good. And the universe says, wow. And for seven days, they were just shouting for joy at the wonders of creation. And see, the Sabbath gives us a chance to do this again.
to be reminded of the great creator and what he did. And that's why God gave us the Sabbath. So we'd never forget to shout for joy for what he's done. Once a year wouldn't be enough. And once a month wouldn't be enough. But every seven days we can praise God for the creator. And Ellen White talks about this. And she said, if we would go out into creation and enjoy the works of God's handiworks, we'd some, if, if we do this, we'll sometimes feel the presence of the creator with us. Isn't that beautiful? We need to take time. To, we don't have time to do it during the week. Don't have time. But Sabbath gives us time to rejoice in the creator. Have this time. So I said, okay. Because I learned that the Jewish people, though I wanted to spend my life savings on a new couch, they'll spend their life savings on their Sabbath dishes. And that's why Friday night and Sabbath, they sit with sterling silver and china and crystal and tablecloths with silver and gold threads to remind them of the royal nature of this day. It's just, it's just impressive. One Jewish writer calls the Sabbath a palace in time. Now, I don't live in a palace, but I, have you ever seen that documentary of Buckingham Palace and Queen Elizabeth? I could get used to that. That would be really nice. But every Sabbath, God invites us to his palace in time. That means wherever we are, we can enter God's palace of time. Isn't that beautiful? That was a precious thought to me. Another thing they taught us was, um, oh, I remember said, I have a hard Sabbath text. And they said, no, there's no hard Sabbath text. And I said, yes, there is a hard Sabbath text. And they said, what is a hard Sabbath text for you? And I said, Isaiah 58. And I think this is the text that has tripped up, tripped up me and more Seventh-day Adventists than anything else about our understanding of the Sabbath. And I'm going to read it with the tone of voice that I always understood it before I went to Israel. It's like God talking. No, God's in heaven. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day. And that's how I felt it. Oh, I've got to be careful. got to be careful. And they said, is that what your Bible says? Is that what your Bible says? They didn't use the word Bible. Is that what your Torah says? They said, yes. They said, you know what they said? They said, English is not so good. <laughs> said, that's why it's a hard text for you, because they read it this way. And I wrote it in there so that I would remember. If you turn away your foot from your Sabbath, pursuing your daily work on my holy day, and if you read the first part of Isaiah 58, it's talking about your daily work of your employment where you earn your salary. And so the, that word pleasure is talking about your normal work. Now, see, the Sabbath commandment commands us to work six days. And God never intended that to be a curse. That was to be a blessing too. Our work is to be a blessing to us. And blessed are the people whose jo job matches their joy. Some people go through life and don't enjoy anything, let alone their work, let alone the Sabbath. But blessed are the people who love their work. And then Sabbath, they praise God. But so, so they, 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 they talk about this verse. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your daily work, your employment on my holy day, because some people can't stop work. It's too hard. You know, you know, I, I, I'm a teacher. And I, I know that sometimes I'm reading on Friday night, and I'm thinking, ooh, this would be a good thing to put in my class. This is really neat. I've got to remember, I'm just going to feed my soul on Friday. I, can't, I don't have to grade papers. No, I don't have to prepare for classes either. I just restore my soul in the Lord. That's what it's all about. And I have to be careful. And other people can't stop. And I remember one Sabbath, I was walking to synagogue when we were in Jerusalem. There's over 400 synagogues in Jerusalem, and I would go to a different one every Sabbath just to see how the Jewish people kept Sabbath. And I remember walk, catching up with this man because no one drives on Sabbath. It's all 
walking, except the Arabs. And so I was walking, and we caught up, and we were walking to the synagogue, and I, and I, I told him I was from America, and I was visiting the synagogue. And he said, well, good. And he said, do you like my country? And I said, yes, I like your country. And he said, good. And I said, can I ask you one question? And he said, sure. And I said, I notice when I go to synagogue that you don't take up offerings. And, I, and he said, you're right. And I said, why is that? And he said, I don't know why, but I'll tell you I'm glad. He says, I'm a businessman, and I'm thinking money all week long. All week long, I've had to make my business work. And he said, and then when I put my hands in my pocket during the week, I touch money, and that's all I can think about. I can do this, I can do this. He says, on Sabbath, I don't carry money. So I can put my hands in my pocket and be relieved of my business. And it does nothing to trigger me about my work, my daily work. And that helped me to understand this, this text. That's what it's talking about, your daily work. And it's good to work hard. It's good. There's nothing wrong with working hard. And, but not on Sabbath. You don't have to work on Sabbath. And then they, my friend said, and you never read the next line and call the Sabbath a delight. Oh, whoever gets there. My husband tells me there's 11 words in Hebrew that translated delight, 11. And each one increases the intensity of the delight. We have one word in English, one word. And so it depends on how you say the word to make it. Well, that was a delight. Or, whoa, that was a delight. You know, you do it that way. But this word, it's in the Hebrew Bible. This particular word for delight is only used in the Hebrew Bible for kings and queens in their palaces. So they, they translate it and call the Sabbath a royal delight. And that's where that palace and time comes from. And I took a gold pen and drew a little golden crown over that so I'd never, ever forget it. Never forget it. Such a blessing, such a blessing. Then they said, they told me, you said, you know that God created, when God created, he created in a poem. No, I said, I didn't know that. They said, yes. God didn't just throw things together. Now, biologists have told us that God had to create these things in this order. There could not be life. But they said, no, it's much better than that. God created things to make it beautiful. And you, you take the first three days and God creates different habitats. The light, the air, and the water, and the land. On the last three days, he fills up those habitats and makes them full. And then he's still not done. On the seventh day, there's more verbs about the Sabbath than any other verb. And the other the days of the week. God said, let there be, and there was, and it was. But on the Sabbath, God blessed it. He made it holy. That's right. And those three verbs are picked up and put in the fourth commandment, the very same words that God uses in the fourth commandment. Now, what does it mean when God blesses something? Don't, don't give me a dictionary definition. What is a he, uh, the Hebrew understanding of blessing? Remember? Huh? Happy, yes. And when God blessed Hannah's womb, what happened? She could conceive. So a blessing is God's enabling something to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. So God's blessed the Sabbath so it can accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And that should make us very happy, right? What does it mean when God makes something holy? How does God make something holy? Let's put it there. How does God make something holy? Huh? He declares it, and it's by his presence. Remember when God dedicated the sanctuary, what did he do? He filled it with his presence, and they couldn't even come near because it, it was so glorious. And remember the burning bush in the wilderness? Mo- Moses saw this burning bush, and he, he, I'm sure Moses had built a number of campfires in the wilderness, but he saw this burning bush that wasn't burning up, so he goes there, and God, what does God tell him? Take off your shoes, it's holy ground. Why was it holy ground? Because God was in that fire. 
And so when God says he's going to make the Sabbath holy, what does it mean? His presence is going to fill this day. Now, God blesses and is with us every day. But Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that Sabbath, God pours out his choicest blessings. That was a new thought for me. I thought Sabbath was something I did for God. And I knew all the texts and I knew all the right ways to do it. But I never let God bless me. I was always trying to show God how good I was and how lucky he was that I was a Seventh-day Adventist instead of being restored and renewed. I find it fascinating that there's a lot of books coming out now about the Sabbath from other Christians. Lots of them. One of them is called 26 7 instead of, I mean 20 23 7 instead of 24 7 no I'm going to get it right 24 6 20 what is it 24 7 no 24 6 there that's the title is 24 6 but of course they always talk about Sunday but what they the, the interesting thing to me is that they see what a royal gift the Sabbath is and they're trying to encourage their Sunday keepers to keep this day and not let it go we should have been putting books out like this for the last 100 years. Why, why aren't people coming to us and asking us about the Sabbath? Why aren't they? God gave us the chance to be the light on the hill. Remember what God told Abraham, I want you to be a blessing. I want you to be a blessing. Well, they say, well, it doesn't say he kept the Sabbath, but it does. Because when God renews the covenant with Isaac in, Isaac, in Genesis 26, he says, I'm renewing the covenant with you because your father kept all my commandments and my statutes and my laws. So we know the Sabbath, Abraham kept the Sabbath, and God told Abraham, I want you to be a blessing in the whole world. And that's what we were supposed to be. We were supposed to be the blessing and sharing the glory of the Sabbath to be a blessing in this world. But instead, at least in my own life, I'm just starting to realize this. I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying that this is the only way to keep the Sabbath, but I'm saying that this is what God used to open my heart to the glories of this day. Oh, Heavenly Father, please forgive us, smart Seventh-day Adventists, for being so slow to appreciate your great gift of time and how you want to be close to us. And the Sabbath is coming soon, Lord, and its bright light is lightening these days as we approach it. And this is going to be a high Sabbath here at ASI. Please pour out your spirit and restore us and renew us. Take away our crippledness of sin. And help us walk anew in the warmth of your great heartbeat. Thank you, dear Jesus. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org. Dot